Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Logar the Barbarian, jo joined today by my co-host, Light, the Light-Fingered Thief. Hey, Logar, how are you doing today? Sorry I was running a little bit late. I got, got stuck at a railroad there. Oh, no. Listen, in this town, these railroad tracks are crazy. It is unlike, I've been living in a lot of places, but those railroads around Hamilton, Ohio. Man, they're everywhere. They, <laughs> they stay, stop you. Yeah, it is a problem. I've never seen anything like it. It stops traffic and things from going, I'm not even going to, I'm not a fan of those railroads. <laughs> I don't like them either, but sometimes, you know, they do serve a purpose. I agree. Now, we're going to talk today about the concept of sandbox versus railroad in role-playing games and what those things mean, because maybe you're familiar with this discussion and maybe you're not. So I guess we should probably start by explaining the idea of a sandbox versus a railroad. Do you think yep. you have a good definition of that you could give or should I try to give it a whack? <laughs> Why don't you talk sandbox and I'll talk railroad? How's that? All right. So the I'm going to just give a quick, this is the idea. A ra the idea is the railroad has a definitive path you follow in the storyline of the game, and you have to kind of go down that path or story, whereas the sandbox is kind of an open world. The characters and players explore it, and thing, they have a lot more liberty to do whatever they want, usually in a sandbox, where you kind of follow around the different things, and the characters add to and make the story. Yeah, and the sandbox, you know, a lot of times the players slash characters help build that universe and help build that storyline um, with the railroad is a little bit more linear. Hence, you know, the term railroad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan of the sandbox stuff, but I'm going to be 100% honest. I don't have the longest history of running sandbox campaigns. When I started playing role-playing games, I was into science fiction and superhero games. The games themselves were very much modeled after like, comic books which do have very definitive storylines that are written and that's kind of along the lines of what would be considered a railroad game and i've played a lot of them i've ran a lot of them i can't say that i've hated it like because i've done tons of games like that yeah so for me you know we grew up playing a lot of you know tsr modules that were released for dungeons and dragons those modules are mixed some of them are a little bit railroady in terms of the uh, set path that you have moving forward other ones are very sandboxy like you know keeping the borderlands or even the lost city um all of those have a lot of elements where you can explore on your own and create your own adventure so for me you know i'm accustomed more to i guess traditional railroady type of uh you know games and modules because i play set games and modules i don't do much uh homebrewing myself to create you know a sandbox world I will, I'm going to interject here and kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to derail the railroad for one moment. <laughs> and I'm going to talk about our game, the one that you run in Hyperborea. And I think one of the perfect sandboxy elements you could do with that game is we had a, uh, an NPC that was introduced that got killed off too early. If I were running that game, I would, I would change things around. I would say, oh, this NPC was down there, but I had a hit point left and lived. And you have the beginnings of a great long-term villain right there for the story. That could be a lot of fun to work with. That's where I'd go. Instead of <laughs> whatever 
story was planned out, I'd be like, okay, the characters created this problem for themselves. They're gonna <laughs> that's what I would do. I'm not telling you how to run your game, <laughs> but I've been thinking about that a lot lately. <laughs> yeah, which, which NPC was that one? The one that got dropped off the skiff, the flying. Oh, skiff, last and last the game. Wizard. Yeah. <laughs> we had a wizard. Yeah, I was. I was sad, but it's okay. <laughs> I would. I would. I would. Uh, if it were me running that game, that wizard would not be dead. <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, yeah, so the, the idea of sandbox, it was a new thing to me when I first kind of ran into the idea of playing that way. I had played D&D for years and I had played in what would probably be called sandbox games in the 90s with Advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition. Some of my DMs there who were more old school type gamers that ran that style of game. But a lot of our games, like I said, played a lot of superhero role-playing games and stuff like that. So we created stories. We crafted this. We had plans for the world and the villains. There were times when I was game mastering and others were game mastering where stuff like, well, if you kill the villain, the story's gone. I can't do this unless this villain exists and you run into problems. <laughs> and, and players want to do certain things or are able to do certain things and they want that autonomy. So I think there's a little conflict there. I think sometimes you have to take a little bit of sandbox and a little bit of railroad within the game, especially if you're running a sandbox, like busting out those modules is one thing that you might do a lot of the times and fitting them in there and being able to kind of like bop and weave with the punches that the players throw and adjust accordingly. Maybe it doesn't reach the final conclusion <laughs> that it was originally intended. Yeah. I think I would agree with you that the uh, best type of games have elements of both, you know, both, um freedom for the characters and players to explore around but then also set events and elements that they can encounter in the game um personally you know when i'm running a game as a dungeon master at least today currently i do railroady type of games only because i don't have one the time to prep a full sandbox up environment and two i'm usually so fried after work that my brain isn't very creative anymore so you know in the instance that you mentioned you know i was already I have paths set. <laughs> so I wasn't deviating because I don't have the brain capacity after work to, um, you know, they call it decision fatigue, but usually I'm so fried afterwards. So that's why for the games that I'm currently running, um, they're a little bit more railroady just because I don't have to go through the creative process of thinking on the fly because my brain's already smoked. Yeah. Now, you know, after I retire, I'll probably want to go run sandbox and creative environments and create my own elements and universe and options and such. So at least with my current state, I'm not able to like, can I ask you, can I ask you a personal question on air? Yeah. When you retire, when we're retired, can we play at least three nights a week? <laughs> Man, we're, we're playing five nights a week. <laughs> I, am, I cannot wait. We, we can get up early and do a day game for. A yeah, exactly. <laughs> Eight o'clock is time for game. Game in nine to five. Sounds good yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. We'll do it all day. We'll do an all all day Saturday game or something like that. <laughs> We're going to have to make plans for the retirement of the D&D role players retirement home. <laughs> have Ooh, to start playing. I, I like that. We'll get a castle. <laughs> Remember that castle that was for sale in Indiana? Oh, yeah. We'll go by the castle and set it up. And we'll just yeah. game all the time. I'll build game room. We'll all have different little apartments in there as a retirement <laughs> home. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> that, that, that's our dream. <laughs> ah, I, I can do this. We can make this happen. Yes. <laughs> Now, I'm going to get back to the idea of sandboxes and, and, and railroads. Now, I have definitely played in some games. All, 
all dungeon masters, well, many times dungeon masters have different approaches and different feels when they're running their games. And games can be very fun and very different and very diverse. That's one thing I've learned. There are definitely dungeon masters who get more into acting out characters and doing that side of the role play. There are definitely dungeon masters that get more into a puzzly kind of tricky. You have to figure this outside. And then there are dungeon masters who will direct almost like they're directing a film, like, like you're trying to get through this story here and explore that story. They all have their ups and downs. They all have different approaches. Being able to mix them, I think most people mix certain elements of those different styles. I've enjoyed games of all sorts. I've definitely had some railroad games where it's difficult for your character to do a lot of things. Like the decisions they make have to be nullified somehow by the dungeon master. As a player who's been a dungeon master, it's like, okay, I'm going to reel back and not do that. I'll do what is kind of expected to do by the module that's being planned. <laughs> Yeah. And so, you know, like you said, I think there's, um, you know, freedom of choice elements within a game or module that you can stay within. But if the characters decide, hey, I'm not going to go follow, I'm going to make it up the orphan beggar with a treasure map. Yeah. Well, they're not going to follow the orphan with a treasure map and you're not going to go into the dungeon and there'd be a different option. So, you know, I'm not going to force somebody to go follow the, the orphan with the treasure map, right? So you got to present them options, and there are choices with that game. Oh, certainly. And one thing I like to do is before the end of a game that we've played, like usually I like to be like, okay, this is what the characters, I when I've run a lot of things, it's like, okay, what are you planning on doing? What is your option? Where are we going to go next week? Because I have to plan that ahead of you time. Plan for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what's yeah. going on. Sometimes it's easy because I know they're in a place. I've got all the different options. I know where they can what will happen and it's easy to wing it but if they're going to delve into a dungeon or something i'd like to have something prepared but at the end of the day most dungeon masters that i know will probably end up playing or running about anywhere from 50 to 80 percent of the stuff they've prepared ahead of time <laughs> i right. know that's the case it is with me yeah likewise now you know i think when you dungeon master you you go with the flow a lot better than i do so i feel like you're able to adapt and adjust to the uh, situations and create little, you know, mini side quests, you know, in the middle of the main game as well, too. Here's the thing with that. Adapting to the flow on the fly during game requires smoke breaks. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go outside for a minute, smoke a cigarette and think sometimes right. like this is a good time for a bio break. For a <laughs> Let me build my thoughts for a moment. Yeah, nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm bringing this book with me outside. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> understand. But, you know, to your earlier point in regards to having different elements in each game, regardless if it's sandboxy or railroad, you know, having some having some problem solving investigation, some role playing interaction with NPCs. And then, of course, you know, combat because everyone likes combat. I think it's critical that every game session has a little bit of each. Um, obviously, see, some game sessions may skew more towards one element or the other depending where you're in the adventure but you know for example when you had um you know the the, the annoying knight johnson from you remember johnson from rapon hook that you had the uh, npc oh, yeah. yeah i mean we love well let me refer that we loved and we hated that npc so much but every time he made an appearance everyone had a big smile on their face and then johnson would create all kinds of either adventure or headache for us depending on what mood he was in but i mean that guy was hilarious and he popped up multiple times to give us grief help us along you know <laughs> that was the one that used what my call my i believe that was the character npc that used what my son called the superman voice wasn't it the uh, yes it was. yes it i was. am here to save the day <laughs> yes. hello i am 
I am Johnson. I am the, Johnson. I am the hero. I am the paladin. And I <laughs> and everyone hated him, but he was a, <laughs> such an interesting NPC. So adding those elements into any type of game, I think, is great. So, you know, I think as long as you have those different creative elements, a railroady type of game or a sandbox type of game is going to be fun and enjoyable for everybody. I So I'm going to get into a real weird little rant when it comes to Johnson and the paladins and the lawful good. <laughs> I have a I have a history of getting into philosophy and more radical ideas and sometimes I question the concept of what's lawful good and lawful evil and stuff like that so I really like to insert lawful good characters who are just horrible sometimes in the game they're good but then there's something oh wow that's really <laughs> really messed up about the character well they're, they're, I've they're tried like, that a few times and I have fun with that you know they're like lawful lawful you know lawful stupid or lawful fascist you know so yeah i've I've definitely had some fun with that like follow the rule of the law sometimes isn't the greatest thing and i like to do that sometimes in game over the years i've definitely definitely done that and i mean that's a big thing in media now anyways a lot of the evil superman shows that come out that are that are big like uh the boys and stuff like that there's definitely been focusing on that and people have been questioning that more in our media as opposed to when i was growing up it was super friends and superman was good not was was good good. yes and we didn't question that (laughs) no (laughs) no but media's got more interesting that's just kind of a side note on the the lawful goodness yes i mean that that, that could be a topic in the future actually we should talk about alignments and alignments and npc alignments so let me write that down right now Uh, we posted an article about alignment a while back we did yes and i had put that weird alignment matrix thing that i had created on there that might be a thing to talk about on here so getting back on track to railroads and sandboxes railroads have or sandboxes have certain elements that are helpful in, in, in kind of delving into them and running them. They're, they tend to rely on things like hex crawls. When I ran Forbidden Lands, that's very sandboxy and it's written, a pre-written sandbox. The way that the game and the encounters are written, you get in there and you learn more about what the NPCs are, some of the potential conflicts that people could come into, but it's not so fleshed out that you have to follow these threads but it gives you many different threads and things that could happen just kind of in little bullet points and little notes in different areas. Once you get a feeling, it's always been my way to run. Once I understand who the different NPCs and characters are in there, even when I'm doing a railroad style, like linear game, once I know the characters and the NPCs, and I know what's going on in the world around people, I know how to react to the players when they do something that's helpful for me. One of my biggest ways to uh, prepare for game, why I found running a more homebrewed sandbox easy in years ago is because I would be at work doing doldrum tasks and I would be exploring in my head, who is this character? How interesting <laughs> is this character? And how would this character respond? I'd come up with little snippets to use in game when certain things, how it, so I would be getting to know and flesh out that world. It would be in my head. I'd go home and I sometimes I'd take little pieces of paper, fold my pocket and be writing on pencil while I was working, throw up my pocket so I remember the snippet or that. But then I'd make like a little, I have these notebooks of sloppy writing with my outlines <laughs> in them. And I just outline out those characters and those interactions. And that was really helpful for me to just build the world up and prepare for it when I was running something like that. 
Yeah, I think it's important for when you're running a sandbox environment is, as you mentioned, to have different hooks and options and places that or reasons why characters want to go somewhere. So a lot of times, you know, you start in the the EO tavern, as all parties do, but then having a couple of hooks for them to go after as choices, I think is important because a lot of times, you know, you get dropped into a new universe, new world, you're sitting in the tavern, you're like, I don't know where the lake is. I don't know if there's a castle up the hill. I don't know anything about it. So like with Forbidden Lands, having a rough map of the area that shows items of interest, like, oh, there's some ruins over here or, or there's some caves over here. I think that's helpful to have those options to be able to be like, okay, as a party, we're going to tell the game master, I want to go explore the ruins or the caves of destiny or whatever it may be, right? So yeah, and following it through, one of the things that was helpful was the random encounter tables on there. So if suddenly we were off on another direction. They had some really creative, fun random encounter things in those books. When you roll them, it's a lot more than just here's a monster. Like suddenly there's a dilemma that comes with this random encounter. It's quick, short, and it can give the party time to try to problem solve along the way. Great books, the way they're laid out to run a sandbox style campaign great way to do random encounters and if i'm going to the next place there's a big old dungeon over there we're probably gonna be jumping into and i haven't read it yet i'm gonna roll that random encounter table to keep us at a space a pace that means i can be prepared for this next session and we're gonna deal with the dwarf who got caught in the tree in his hot air balloon <laughs> right because that literally happened <laughs> well that was pretty funny because uh we did see that we're like hey what's that did we rescue him it'd be fun to go talk to this fellow so yeah. you know i think for me to your point i'm much much rather have like you said random encounter side quests than random monsters random yes. monsters you know they just pop up you're like oh there's 10 goblins that try to steal your bedroll and you gotta go fight them at night uh but if it leads to something else i think that's where the interesting fun is versus just a random combat i rather have a random side quest adventure yeah i think we need to talk about random encounters and random encounter tables and we're definitely putting down the list of one of the ones we're going to talk about here soon because there's a lot more to random encounters than just oh there's a monster fight it right exactly. and there's a lot of ways to spice those up yep exactly because to me there's random monster which is just combat and then there's random encounter that can lead to random side quests or adventure which i find more interesting because you know i like having focus objectives or missions you know in game versus just like a random oh well like i said whatever 10 goblins show up and you gotta go fight them and then after that you just continue on the same path now i remember there was one of the random encounters that i kept on fleshing out and trying to work with when we were doing our lost lands campaign i had a couple random encounters that got way further than i expected them to be one of them i had i just wrapped up with a very simple thing at the end because it led us for a few games the one was the random baby we found Oh, the random baby. Yeah, there was a bait. It was I was rolling was all a, kinds of random encounter charts. And well, we found a baby. <laughs> that was the uh, elven baby that we found that where their uh, caravan got hit. Right. Yes. And that random encounter was a random encounter table. It went further than I ever expected it to do. And it took up a lot of parts with the game. And eventually we're trying to figure out what to do with this baby when one of the players dropped out. Like, oh, the player that dropped out had the baby. <laughs> well, you see, it was interesting because at that time we had a you know a very um, busy crew of folks, and there were a couple of folks that helped balance out our game in, in regards to the murder hobo tendencies. So in this case, the player, I mean, um, she's a she's a, a nurse in real life, so she said, "Hey, I'll take care of the baby." And you know, the rest of us were like, "Great," because the rest of us were like, "We're just gonna take the baby and drop it off at the nearest you know town orphanage or whatever it was." But she actually 
took care of it and we had to pass the baby along during events to make sure the baby was safe and stuff and, and it, it, added was, a, it was fun <laughs> it added a lot of goal and purpose to the players through that and i didn't pre-plan that that came out of a random encounter and there's random encounters spicing up sometimes it's just a monster when you roll on those tables but there's stuff you can do with those random encounters when you're doing a sandbox style campaign i know that we had a brigand in that campaign that the whole entire group really disliked and really got focused on and it was just a random encounter table but he came back a few times and i had some i think we had some fun with that and they gave people like the whole entire party just deter- got determined to go out and find that brigand and kill him. I was like, huh, I wasn't expecting you to go after that guy, but okay, let's do it. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the party hated that guy so much. Anytime we pop up, we pretty much drop everything we were doing and be like, our sole mission tonight is to go find this guy and throw him in a ditch pretty much, you know? <laughs> and then I, then I said, okay, they don't like this guy. So, so what happened was, if you recall, Y'all had just come out of a dungeon and taken a pretty good beating and we're pretty low at hit points. So he shows up like, hey, I'd like some treasure (laughs) and shows up all healthy when y'all are beaten down. I was like, this is the perfect time to bring in the guy that they hate. (laughs) (laughs) You recall me doing that? Because I definitely recall this. Yeah, I, I, I think we were very nervous in terms of do we fight? Do we give him money? Do we try to run and hide? And I think we ended up burning down half the forest that night. <laughs> yeah, there was some, there was some interest. It, nobody, I don't think, ended up dying in that encounter. I wasn't planning no. on killing people, but I thought, hey, they hate this guy. I'm going to use it. <laughs> and that's that's the kind of stuff I like in a, a sandbox. And stuff kind of emerges organically when I hadn't planned it. And when I see my players are passionate about something or, or wanting to gun for something, because then they're into the game, but they're gunning for something or passionate or hating something. It's like, okay. Let's go there and see where this story leads us. Yeah. And I think um, with, with your background and being able to go with the flow and be a lot more creative and stuff, I think that brings a very interesting element to the game that way. It makes it more fun. Um, with me, I'm a little bit more rigid in the style that I run my games for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, my background is engineer, so I tend to go step by step and I operate more that way. And as I mentioned, you know, getting off work, I'm usually so fried. I don't have much creative activity left to throw in extra stuff so but again i think bringing in elements of both are most important to the game you know you gotta have some stuff as a dm to be able to prepare for which leads into somewhat rarity elements but you gotta have the choice and randomness in the game of the universe as well too for the players all players in all dungeon masters or game masters or storytellers or whatever you call yourself <laughs> all, all all dungeon masters and players Bring something different to the table. Not all players are the same when they play their characters. Some people don't do much description. Some people do a lot of description. Some people talk in voices and, and, and act out the character. I've played with a lot of different people in a lot of different styles. I know in the 90s, when the vampire game got big, LARPing got big with it. Yep. And a large part of that role playing wasn't dice bound, but it was social interacting and acting out those social interactions. And whatever came like that. So the drama lied more in the interpersonal relationship. And that's a kind of a totally different style of role playing than if you're doing like, like we discussed the hole in the oak where we're dungeon delving down there and trying to figure ways around traps and monsters that we can't beat. Those are two different things and they both have different appeals to them and can play differently and different dungeon masters 
may be stronger in one or the other and different players may be stronger than one or the, the other or may prefer one or the other it's just the nature of the game it's got a lot of different options out there when it comes to role-playing games yeah i think it's important to try to mix up your games a little bit in regards to you know sandbox versus rarity as well as the environments that you might be in so for example hone of the oak dungeon delving traditional crawling from room to room being very careful or being in like um what was it Eastgate that city that we we're in in uh, Rapunzel book Eastie where, Witch I think or Eastie Witch I think where, that one was Eastie Witch there's I think there's an Eastgate and an Eastie Witch I think there's a couple okay maybe we're literally named one I think Eastie right. Witch was the one that we spent a lot of time in right but being in a city um encounter there's more uh character role playing not rolling dice but actual interactions with the city and the NBC because you're not going to run around and start murdering well we did we, we didn't murder a shopkeep i should say but anyways, <laughs> normally you shouldn't be murdering the, the the shopkeep or random people on the street uh, like you would might in a dungeon so the type of role playing that you do and how you behave in a city environment where you might have the town guard chasing us which i think happened as well <laughs> but <laughs> you know yeah we, that's, we, that's flavor to the game <laughs> one of the at least one of the characters was in the the dungeon the um the jail and was waiting trial. <laughs> was that me or someone else? I forget now. <laughs> that was our our fighter Pearl. She oh, uh, that's right. She got she got locked up. <laughs> that's oh, my spouse's old character. That was your spouse's old character. Yes. I think there. I think we had another character that ended up killing a pickpocket child from uh, Oliver Twist's. Yes, we did pickpocket gang, and um, yeah. It wasn't an intentional child killing, but it did occur. Unfortunately, it was a terrible thing. I'm sorry. I probably should like put some kind of warning there. People might be like, I find that so good, but horrible things can happen sometimes. Horrible things. So, but point being is <laughs> how you play the game, how you react to the events will be different depending on the type of environment you're in wilderness dungeon versus big city. So, but I think having th- those elements within your sandbox or within your universe, even if you're playing like a railroady type of adventure is important because I would say if you look at Dragonlance, I would say Dragonlance is a pretty linear style type of adventure series from whatever modules one through 14 or whatever it is. But there are elements where you're in the city or you're underground or you're in the forest. So there's variety mixed in that way. I think that there are some genres of game that just lend themselves more to either or like dungeon delving and exploration is great and really easy to do sandboxes. You can probably do that in space too. Like let's fly here, let's fly there yep. and hex crawl in space. So sci-fi can do that. You get into call of Cthulhu, you get into playing a superhero game. Sometimes those are very story dependent games. They're very much modeling themselves after, you know, you've got limited places that have been planned out you're not you're acting within a world that more closely mirrors our world and reality and some of those so the boundaries are a little bit different it's not like what's in the next town because you can look at the map and see what the next town is right exactly (laughs) it's like the next town is definitely you know cincinnati or yep or detroit or whatever so like games like that probably more of a a railroad approach is more common. You've got stories. Of course, there's some autonomy and liberty with the characters there, but they're not hex crawling and running around the country. Normally, I'm sure you could come up with a game like that. would probably play a little differently. But there's usually, I've planned out to meet this great old one at the end and drive you all mad. (laughs) Exactly. You know, like murder on the Orient Express. You're literally on a train. And guess what? 
You can only do stuff that's while you're on, on the train. train or if you're stopped at the next city, like you said. So you are a little bit literally railroaded in that particular instance because you're trying to solve the mystery as associated with that series. And if you don't solve the first mystery, you're probably not going to get the clues to go to the second mystery or third mystery. Um, we ran another adventure. I don't know if you're a part of that one where it was a Call of Cthulhu type of adventure where you're on a steamboat traveling from California over to, you know, Shanghai or something like that. The whole adventure was on that steamboat cruiser. So guess what? You're on a steamboat cruiser. You're not getting off the steamboat cruiser. You have like one stop in Hawaii after two weeks, but the whole adventure takes place on the steamboat cruiser and is driven by events that happen every day. You know, day one event, day two event, day three event. So is that railroading? A little bit, but the characters can react to those events. So that's where the, you know, the, the, the choice element comes into play. I know that the alien role-playing game is big right now. What I thought was interesting about some of those boxes and adventures I'm looking at is like, you've literally got this limited small spaceship you're stuck in. Right. I remember reading, I was one of the Clive Barker horror stories when I was younger, where he was stuck in a prison cell and some kind of demonic presence was coming after him. And I remember the fear and terror of just being trapped there. And I remember reading, yes, (laughs) you can't get out of here. This is your limitation. This is frightening. That's a good element of horror. Like when I read Shadow Over Innsmouth as a kid, when I read that story and he's in that room and they're jiggling the doorknob. The the door lock. Yep. And he's all, I was so scared. I was (laughs) laying in bed reading this. I'm like looking around like, oh no, I had fear reading that story. Those are two stories that really scared me. And that alien role-playing game, being confined in that little spaceship, not being able to escape whatever's here, you're going to have to confront. I, it's a good horror element. Is it a railroad? It might be a little bit. You're, might stuck be a little bit. The, you're stuck in this place. You can't get out. Yeah. you got to I mean, deal with these terrible things. <laughs> you, you still do have choice of action, right? You still can decide, am I going to go, I'm going to make it up, hide in this corner of the uh, spaceship you know, to get away from the alien, or if you're yeah, in the cell, fight. yeah, hide or fight. If you're in the cell, you better get creative on how you're going to deal with this demon that's coming after you in your whatever small little jail cell. So there are choices, but to your point, you know, you're limited because it's not a full blown big universe type of thing. However, you still have choices that you can make within the, the game construct. Well, we're getting about time. So I, I guess that's about all we have time for today. That, that went quickly. <laughs> it, it usually does. It goes by pretty swift. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, you can follow us at wobbliesandwizards.com. You can go ahead and follow us on Facebook, too. We love it. Just search Wobblies and Wizards on there. Give us the like and the follow, because I think they're different for some reason. One yeah, of the I, things pop up. I don't know. Yeah. The I'm on the Twitter at Hail. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm on the Twitter at Logar Hail Crom. And keep those dice rolling. Yes, and let us know what you guys think about Sandbox and Railroad as well, too. Please post any comments you may have.